We are continuing uh, to see some insights into a pastor's heart. We have been looking at the concern that Paul has for the Lycus Valley Saints. Have you found the text? Let's begin at verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, And ye are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. My stars. Uh, Or as Granny Miller would say, land of Goshen. What a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Well, let me take just a moment and review with you uh, from our last study in verses 1 through 7, we saw the fact of Paul's concern. He said, I would that you knew what great concern, uh, what great conflict I have for you. This was an inner concern. It uh, went on constantly in his heart and mind. It was... uh, an inclusive concern. It wasn't just for the church at Colossae, but for the church at Laodicea, for those in Aeropolis. In fact, for all of the saints throughout the Lycus Valley, even those whom he had not seen. Uh, It's often difficult enough for us to stay concerned and burdened, even for people that we Uh, see on a regular basis, much less to have that same kind of intense concern for people whom we haven't met, for people whom we can't uh, put a face on. But uh, the Apostle has concern even for these saints in the Lycus Valley whom he has not seen. And then he gave us some insights into the particulars of his concern He was concerned that their hearts would be comforted. He he wanted them to be encouraged. He wanted them to be strengthened in their inner man by the Spirit of God. He wanted their hearts to be knit together in love. I used the word compacted in love. I talked about how that The people of God have a unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that's unique. And it binds us together, knits us together, compacts us together as one in Christ. And then he wanted these uh, Lycus Valley saints to experience the riches of the full assurance of understanding, uh, theological understanding, doctrinal 
understanding. When a child of God comes to grips with the great theology of the Christian religion, the various doctrines related to the person and the work of Christ, especially His work uh, in atonement, uh, when we understand the person of God, when we have some full understanding of the Trinity, um, it enriches the soul. It gives assurance in the Christian life. It enables us, regardless of the circumstances and eventualities, to remain steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, I love that statement. uh, Under all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Uh, I was alarmed yesterday. I listened to Dr. Chuck Quarles who is a Bible teacher at Louisiana Baptist College as he taught the Bible study at the state convention there yesterday. He said that they gave... I want to use the word examination, but they gave a quiz. They took a survey of incoming freshmen. And one-third of them indicated that they did not believe that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And on many other serious, fundamental questions of the faith, as many as 55 and 60 percent of them indicated they did not know the answer. How can folks who do not have an understanding of the faith experience the kind of enrichment and assurance that Paul wants for the Lycus Valley Saints. I tell you, understanding theology and doctrine is so important. It's vital to the Christian life. And then he makes this statement. He says, um, I want you to be able to, to give a comprehensive declaration regarding the mystery of God. He says, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. This was his concern for them. I'm going to have something to say more about that in a moment. Now, we come to this passage tonight, and I want to just talk around three headings. One, I want you to see the caution in verse 8, that he gives to these saints at Colossae. He says, Beware 
lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now this word spoil had a little different uh, meaning uh, for Paul than it does for you and I. We think of something uh, decaying, uh, ruining. That's not what Paul has in mind here. He says, I want you to be careful, be on your guard, lest some of these false teachers lead you away as spoils, as objects of victory over you, lead you away from the truth of the gospel. And he mentions philosophy and vain deceit. So I want to talk about this philosophy now uh, using three items. First, I want, to, uh, I want to tell you that philosophy in and of itself is not necessarily evil. In fact, it can be very positive. Uh, philosophy basically is, is the science of reason. And God has given us the capacity to think and to reason. We have the ability, like none others, no other forms of life below man has the capability of, of um, inductive and deductive reasoning. We can establish premises and draw logical conclusions from that. And that has served us wonderfully well, uh, has it not? Um, we think about medical science. Aren't you glad that there have been some who've gone before us who have applied their God-given cognitive skills to learning the, about medicine, learning about surgeries? Uh, hallelujah for that. Uh, aren't you glad that uh, some folks like Henry Ford and others applied their God-given natural abilities to reason and came up with the automobile uh, and airplanes and electricity. I'm still mystified by electricity. Uh, I hadn't got any more clue today about electricity than I did when I was five or ten years old. It just baffles me. I'm glad that there are some folks who understand that they've applied themselves to know about it. Since I spoke to you last, I have preached at the First Baptist Church in Moultrie, Georgia. I met a man there. He was visiting from, um, from Macon, Georgia. And he was, a, he was an older gentleman, and he had a patch over his eye. He looked rather distinguished. And he came up to me before the service, and he said, I heard you preach. Well, I didn't think too much about that. But he said, in the fall of 1994, 
That was 15 years ago. And he said, I've been wanting to hear you again. And he reminded me of what I had preached on that evening. But that's not what I wanted to tell you about the man. I said, well, sir, what's your work? What's been your profession? He said, I have been an inventor. And I have made instruments. He said, I made the first laser that was used by NASA to measure the distance of the moon from the earth. And he said, I got it right to within six inches. They've later developed lasers that have gotten it exactly right. He missed by six inches the first time. Well, I was mesmerized by that, by visiting with a guy like that up close and personal. And he said, uh, I have a banjo that I made. I made all the parts and I built it and it's in the Smithsonian Institute. That's pretty big stuff. That's pretty smart. And I got up on the platform and the people were filling the room. And he got up and came up to me and he said, I thought you might be interested in this. I have a patent on an instrument that I built that can measure up to seven and one-half tenths of one millionth of an inch. That's thin. That's really getting it down there thin. I was, I was in awe of this guy. Monday, or pardon me, Sunday evening uh, at the Louisiana Pastors Conference, I heard Dr. Al Moeller preach. I had the happy privilege of being involved as a trustee of bringing him to be the president at Southern Seminary. And I sat there in awe of how brilliant the guy is. Just absolutely brilliant. Just head and shoulders above the average. Few peers among Southern Baptists. And yet, was able to preach from the very familiar passage in Luke 16, 19 about the rich man and Lazarus. I've preached on that. I've often preached on that at wild game suppers. But he he said a bunch of stuff that never in this world entered into my mind about that text. 
You know what he used it for, Brother Bill? He used that text to preach on the theme of the sufficiency of the Scriptures. They held Moses and the prophets. It was a masterpiece. I'm glad God has, has given men the ability to think. Aren't you? There's nothing wrong necessarily with philosophy. It's the science of reason. But there is something negative about the kind of philosophy that Paul's talking about in this passage of Scripture. He says this philosophy that you ought to be a be on guard against has to do with the traditions of men. The Jews had a lot of traditions. The Lord Jesus spent much of His teaching ministry trying to debunk the traditions of the Pharisees and the scribes. Um... It doesn't matter if it's come down to us from centuries past. If it's wrong, it's wrong. After the rudiments of the world. Now, this word rudiment really means elementary or elements of the world. And you are aware that the world system is at enmity against God. It is in opposition to God. And Paul says you better be aware, you better be on your guard against philosophies that are built upon man's own system of religion. Now, here's the difficulty. When the science of reason is applied to physical things, material things, medical science, astronomy, wonderful, we rejoice. It's when philosophy enters into metaphysics. It's when philosophy begins to try to explain the origin of man and the existence of God and the existence of evil. That's when you better beware. When the Gnostics come calling and they tell you unashamedly that God is too pure to touch the material universe. That all material is evil. Somebody ought to stand up on his hind legs and say, says who? What makes your opinion now at this point any more valuable than the next man's opinion? You see my third item on the list. It's at this point now where we are absolutely dependent on revelation. 
Now, can men know some things about God without the Bible? What can we know about God even if we didn't have the Bible? There is what we call general revelation. And that is the creation of the world teaches us that God exists. There aren't any truthful atheists. All atheists are liars. The Bible says that the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and deity. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. There's no speech nor language where the voice of nature is not heard declaring, there's a God. Men can know that there's a God. They can know that He's a wise God, that He's a powerful God, that He is a benevolent God. But man is limited from creation to how much he can know about God. Now, are you aware that God the Father begot the Son? And He is the one from whom the Holy Spirit proceeds. Are you aware of that? And yet God the Father is not begotten, nor does He proceed. Are you aware that God the Son is begotten of the Father, and He also is the one from whom the Holy Spirit proceeds? And yet God the Son does not beget, nor does He proceed. Are you aware that God the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son? And yet God the Holy Spirit does not beget. Nor is he one from whom another proceeds. Are you aware of this? What have I just said? I I have just said and demonstrated that there are distinct items within the persons of the triune God. Things that distinguish each of them from the other. And yet, while there are three persons with distinct functions and characteristics, these three persons within the Godhead have the exact same nature and the exact same essence and the exact same being. 
Now, how did I come up with that? Did I just sit down and begin to think all this through? Did I get with some other philosophers and figure out that the God who created the universe is a triune being, three persons in one God? Could, could, could man figure that out on his own? No, beloved, we are, we are dependent upon the special revelation of the Word of God, or we would never know these things. It's when philosophy tries to explain God's existence, who He is, and why He is, that you have problems with philosophy. It's when philosophy tries to explain man's origin. And man's nature that you have problems. That's the philosophy of the world today. That man is basically good. It's his environment that keeps pulling him down. Get get man the right education and the right environment and he will pick himself up by his bootstraps and raise himself up above the fray. Well, the only problem with that is it just ain't so. And it contradicts the special revelation of the Word of God. That's when philosophy goes astray. And you have to be on guard. How would we know the difference if someone came into our church, well-meaning, attended all of the services, Gave big bucks. Seemed to have a, a, a amiable and likable personality. And ere long they began to teach some of this stuff that, that God could not have created the universe because the material universe is evil. And that would lead them to question the deity of Christ. How could Christ have created the universe? How could He have taken on flesh when all flesh is evil? Well, well, how would we know the difference? Because we have the Bible. Because we have God's special revelation. And when somebody comes in with this kind of teaching, if it doesn't jive, if it doesn't match up with what thus saith the Lord is, we reject that. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here to these churches in the Lycus Valley. Beware. Folks will come, they'll come in, and if you, if you begin to buy into their system, before long they'll take you away as spoils of their victory. He adds another dimension here. He says, philosophy and vain deceit. That is, there are some who are deliberate in their falsehoods. 
they lead you astray deliberately. Now, beloved, I want to warn this congregation. There are folks out there in our world, in our day, who on purpose, for monetary financial reasons, lead people astray. And you got to be concerned about that. you got to be on guard about that. Try the spirits, whether they are of the Lord. Alright, here's my next statement. I want to talk to you from verse 9 for a moment regarding the Christ. He says, in contrast to what these Gnostics say, um, in Christ, we have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, let's talk about this word Godhead. It's the word which means deity. In Christ, we have the full-orbed deity. Now, what is it that constitutes deity? Number one, self-existence. Jesus Christ is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't have any psychological voids that need to be filled. Have you ever thought about this? The triune God was perfectly self-sufficient and satisfied before the creation of the world. He didn't create the world to give him a little toy to play with because he was bored. He didn't create man because he needed an object for his affections. He was self-sufficient. Now, we're grateful to God he did create the world and that he did create man and that he is a God of love. But I want to tell you something, beloved. The God of the Bible could have existed without you and me. Self-sufficient. Eternal. Independent of time. You and I can't get a handle on that, can we? It's just almost impossible for us to think other than in time and space. But he inhabits eternity. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He's omnipresent. Even in his fleshly body, Jesus Christ was still omnipresent. He knew stuff, saw stuff. 
that went beyond the limits of the physical. That, that's a mystery to us, isn't it? Do you want to look back up at verse 3 at Paul's statement? Is it verse 3 or verse 2? To the acknowledging of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. These things are mysterious to us. What else constitutes the character, the attributes of God? Incommunicable attributes. Omniscience, all-wise. Omnipotence, all-powerful. Immutability. He not only has these other characteristics, he's always had them. And he always will have them, for he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, these characteristics, little Grace just said, Amen. And I like that. She just put her little nose and face right up here to this crack in between the two seats and said, Amen. I love it. Some of you brethren could learn from that. Now, here Paul says that in Christ Jesus we have all that God is dwelling in bodily form. Now, he introduces us to the incarnation of Christ. It is the scandal of the Christian religion that we proclaim unashamedly that God was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is basic ABC fundamental doctrine to the Christian religion. God's Spirit didn't just come upon Christ at various and sundry times. God condescended from heaven's glory to earth's shame. All that God is dwells in Christ. When you saw the physical Christ, you saw the image of God. Christ is God. Are y'all getting any of this? Now, it's no wonder that Paul says in verse 10, and ye are complete in Him. My stars, what else do you want? You are complete in Christ. He's going to go on in these following verses, which we'll look at when we come for the next study. He's going to talk about 
special Sabbaths and he's going to talk about dietary restrictions and he's going to talk about the worshiping of angels and all of these things. And he's going to, he's going to say, if you have Christ, why are you so worried and concerned about Taste not, touch not, handle not. And today we make mountains out of molehills. We want to add speaking in tongues as a sign of salvation. We we got to get somebody down to the creek immediately. And get them baptized in the church of Christ. Because if they don't get dunked in water, when, when, they've, when they've come face to face with the God of eternity, with, with the God of creation, with the incarnate God in Christ who Himself has died upon the cross for sinners, has paid the legal debt, has satisfied the claims of holy justice. And you're going to tell me you've got to get dunked in water even after you've got Him and have got the atonement that He made? And you're going to listen to somebody who comes along and says, don't eat too much cornbread. Don't, don't eat onions when you, along with your cornbread and milk. This is ridiculous. It's childish. It's heretical. Let us rejoice in Christ. Let us go back and begin to look into the riches of the full assurance of understanding of who Jesus is, of what He has done on our behalf, and come to be confident in this. We are complete in Christ. Hallelujah and glory to God. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Would You write it indelibly? upon our hearts and before our eyes. For Jesus' sake, amen.